Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 98. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $6,136 each. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin epicenter of the South. I'm your host, John Barrett, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. (laughs) We're two Bitcoin fanatics who love talking with people about Bitcoin and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Longtime listeners, thank you once again for supporting the show with your tips. And new listeners, we hope you enjoy the show. On today's show, I am privileged to be speaking with Michael Maloney, the solution architect for WAX, the Worldwide Asset Exchange. WAX aims to secure the liquidity of all virtual goods by allowing anyone to gain access to the platform. Listeners, this is quite literally a game changer for planet Earth and for gamers everywhere. Today on the show, I am thrilled to welcome Michael Maloney. Michael Maloney is a blockchain technology founder and entrepreneur. Michael, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if you don't mind, I'd like to begin by reading your bio in order to give our listeners a better idea of who you are and what you've done. Absolutely. All right. Let's see here. Where do we begin? This is a good bio. Michael is the co-founder of EduDAO, an Ethereum-funded platform for education and nonprofits. The mission of EduDAO is to provide a low-cost, fully accountable funding platform for the most underfunded education-related organizations while bringing people together to support and empower the local communities to drive the changes in their neighborhoods. This is great stuff. Previously, Michael worked as a manager within Ernst & Young's financial services advisory practice, and he served as the blockchain IT enablement lead for FSO Blockchain Technology. He also served as editor-in-chief of the EY Distributed Infrastructure Newsletter, providing industry news and perspectives to EY's worldwide team. Wow, good stuff. Almost finished. (laughs) Michael Maloney is currently the CEO and CTO of VestChain, a blockchain advisory and development startup that focuses on technical application design and development. And finally, Michael Maloney is also currently the solution architect for WAX, which is the Worldwide Asset Exchange. Michael, thank you for being here today, sir. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So, gosh darn it, where are we going to start? You mentioned before the interview that you are familiar with a few guys here in Nashville, John Bass 
and a few other guys. And how do you know those guys? So I met John actually while I was at Ernst & Young. We were at the Nashville Hackathon for healthcare. John was one of the judges. We at EY were doing a number of explorations into the healthcare space. And so we had a great time just kind of meeting him and hearing about everything else that they've been working on. Big fan of what John's been doing with Hashed Health. He hired um, my co-founder of EduDAO, Ken, into his team lately. And so oh. I've got a lot of good reasons to get down to Nashville besides food and friends. <laughs> uh, always a good time to, to talk with those guys. Hey, that's fantastic. Now, let me ask you, where are you right now? So I'm in New York City. However, I don't spend a lot of time at home. I'm going around to conferences fairly often, bouncing back and forth between the coasts, et cetera. I see. Um, so <laughs> usually New York, <laughs> but never know where I'm going to be next. Nice. And you're actually in New York City? Yeah. So I'm right now in Grand Street down in uh, Soho. So wow. <laughs> part of New York. Talking to this guy in Soho, y'all. <laughs> it's a different world from Nashville. Well, that's very cool, man. Okay, so I first heard about Wax at this most recent distributed health conference we had here in Nashville. Feel free to give our listeners a little bit of a background about where you are. They've heard your bio, but about where you are and where you started and how you got into this space and then lead us all the way up to Worldwide Asset Exchange. Yeah, absolutely. So... I personally got involved in uh, the blockchain space, like many people, with Bitcoin. My background wasn't a traditional developer, but mm -hmm. like a lot of people starting up their careers, I had a lot of need to start to learn how to program. So the best way to learn how to program is to copy an open source project. I got lucky that the one I stumbled upon was Bitcoin. <laughs> so 2011, I started porting Bitcoin from C into Python to try to understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I made quite possibly the ugliest implementation you've ever heard of. <laughs> I, I don't think it worked well at the time. And looking back at it, it's even worse now. I was playing around with the source code the other day just for a little bit of memory's sake. Hmm. But it gave me a good introduction to the subject. Okay. And I really got a handle of how to take apart the transactions and put everything together. Hmm. From there, you know, just from learning how to code, I ended up going over to Ernst & Young and their transaction monitoring services, building high throughput, anti-money laundering systems, millions of transactions a second. And always kind of started putting little bits of Bitcoin into what we were doing, you know, comparing hashes, using key signatures, things that had never really been done before that sped up a lot of what we were doing. Hmm. Well, a few years ago, Ernst & Young read the newsletter that me and a coworker had been putting out talking about Bitcoin and, well, we actually started out calling it the Digital Currency Action Task Force or DCAT. <laughs> and then we turned, changed it to Digital Asset Working Group, DOG. And we went through about three more animal names before somebody finally <laughs> caught on. And uh, it didn't go exactly like this, but they basically said, if you stop goofing around and name it just something serious, we'll let you guys take over and put together a actual service line. Wow. So we started the distributed infrastructure service line over at EY. I was the first technology person there and built out a pretty big team. Actually, 27 days ago, it was time for me to leave. So why, why was I had that? been speaking. <laughs> well, uh, just time to, you know, there's so much happening in the space. Mm -hmm. And I actually, this is part of how WAX came to be. I met Malcolm and William, Malcolm is the president and William is over at Opskins. And they 
started speaking to me about what wax was. And you, you hear about all these great projects in the space. And sometimes you kind of turn an eye and you say, I don't know if that's possible or I don't know if that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. They came to me with wax and it just immediately clicked that this was going to be something that was able to breach mass market adoption. It was solving a real industry problem that was existing before. And no one else was doing it. No one else was doing it. And yeah, to just kind of take it home, I had been exploring the idea of leaving because I wanted to start touching the smaller projects. And Ernst & Young is an incredible place to work. They are focused on the top 10 banks in the world because they're one of the big four consulting firms. You can't (laughs) can't really get away from a legacy of that. And if somebody can't bring a lot of money to the table, it's going to be difficult to get some advisory service in there. Now, I will say they're changing that. There's some incredible leadership over there in the blockchain space that has been brought in and really innovative things happening. But I was getting a little antsy and I wanted to jump out and do it myself. Mm -hmm. I left and jumped on board with the WAX team, started my own company, started doing advisory services. WAX was probably, it was my first client. Mm -hmm. Uh, It remains my first client. I just started sitting down. I think our first day, we met at a party in Santa Monica, California. Mm And I was just completely blown away with the idea. I went home and I filled whiteboards up and I started sending pictures to the team. And they responded with like, I think this guy actually gets it. He actually sees what's going to happen. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, we we started to form the white paper around that idea. A few weeks later, we ended up with a really nice looking white paper. Anybody who was a non-believer before, I think the dominoes just started to fall and everybody said, wow, this is what it actually looks like. This is going to be huge for both the blockchain space, but also the gaming space in particular. Nice. Now, before we get into WAX, give our listeners, if you would, some background. What is Opskins? O-P-S-K-I-N-S. Yeah. So Opskins, and I, I apologize, I always butcher John's name, but John Yantis and John B, they started Opskins several years ago. Opskins is a skin trading platform. Now, we're not talking about anything nefarious there, but when you play <laughs> games like Counter-Strike Go, Player Unknown, H1Z1, all these great games, you can buy additional skins that just change the look and feel of the game, but don't actually change any of the actual core fundamentals. It's a way for you to personalize your gaming experience. Okay, and when you say buy, what currency is being used to buy and is it actual real currency that someone has to get that currency by way of either succeeding in the game or actually using real currency in the real world to get that? So you have to use real currency. Well, you can succeed in the game and get loot crates that drop to you. And actually, this is one of the coolest parts. These skins are actually real assets. They're non-fungible. So the actual AK-47 skin that was used in DreamHack has more value because a famous Counter-Strike Go player used it Hmm. and people can prove that provenance all the way back to them. So they use it in cash. But oddly enough, Opskins accepts Bitcoin as well. Hmm. It's actually one of the largest payment processors of Bitcoin because of the volume that they receive and sell on a daily basis. Wow. So people are actually playing these games and then they're buying these skins that make them look different while they're playing the games, or some skins are actually skins that were used by famous players, 
and someone actually just wants to own those so that an individual skin can retain value over time? Or is it a skin, when you're referring to that famous player, a skin that many different people could own? Because you said it's not fun. So each one of them is a unique asset. Hmm. So on hmm. Counter-Strike Go, if you get one, it's the only one. Now, there may be many that look like it. I see. But the, the wear and tear on it is actually a unique, I want to say a 12 digit. So not quite a... You know, Bitcoin's 10, Ethereum's 15, this mm-hmm. is 12. No more or less can ever be created than that. I see. And it creates you know, a real personal value to this. And wow. blockchain is natural for this for three reasons. The first is that traceability and audibility. You want to know that the one that you have was the one that was used or that it was yours or where you got it. The natural audit functions of blockchain are perfect for that. Mm-hmm. These assets can go for very little, fractions of a penny, or tens of thousands of dollars. The second reason this is natural for blockchain is microtransactions are completely required. Like one cent, two cent, three cent items move around all the time. And on the other side, some of these are super high value, tens of thousands of dollars. Hmm. So the security of blockchain is great for the high value items, but the ability to do microtransactions with blockchain technology is also a fundamental aspect of what we're wanting to put into this. So just on the volume of opskins, they're the largest trader of skins. And I remember this is what sold me on the team. I said, you know, if you guys are the largest and back back of the envelope, this is a $5 billion industry of which they've got a great market share. I said, why are you going to go ahead and decentralize yourself and allow everybody else to get into the game, everyone else to go ahead and list items and essentially take away your near monopoly? Why are you going to do that? And they said, look, one, if we don't do it, somebody else will. Yep. And two, we can create a better product by putting it on blockchain. Mm, nice. And not a lot of teams are out there to make a better product. And that sold me on them. Wow, that's great. So just so that I understand, there are actual skins that players are buying for tens of thousands of real dollars. Yes. Real dollars, real skins. Real dollars, well, real skins. Digital skins. Digital skins. And some people, of course, are just spending pennies. They're skins that are just dirt cheap. So I guess the question that I would ask, because I know there is at least one listener out there wondering, okay, look, we've got people starving in other countries, and someone is playing a game, and they're putting $10,000 into buying this special skin. What is the point of that? Is it status within the game? Does it make you more powerful? What is the actual point of it? Now, I'm not asking that question myself because I've got a pretty good understanding of what gaming is and where gaming is going. But, you know, I think it's a fair question someone might ask. You know, what is the point of this really beyond just enhancing the enjoyment of the actual game for somebody? So totally understand. It's fashion. It's fashion for digital items. Mm -hmm. And while that may seem kind of strange, people spend a lot of time interacting with these video games. You know, it's a social online presence with multiple people working together. Mm -hmm. So just as somebody may not not to throw female listeners under the bus, but if somebody has (laughs) Chanel purses or multi-thousand dollar bags, and very expensive dresses. Hey, and the guys have, you know, what's the point of a snakeskin set of boots? Right. Fashion at the end of the day is how people express themselves. Yeah. What we're doing is we're giving people a way to express themselves in their digital online communities. That's a really good answer. And, you know, I think that moving forward with gaming, you know, there will come a time, I'm sure, when people will be doing gaming only in three dimensions with some kind of a headset on and the idea of sitting there in front of a console 
will be passe that will move on from there to some contacts that you put in your eyes. You wear these contacts and that takes the place of the big headset that you have to wear. And then eventually at some point there'll be a chip that you can implant or that you can interact with. About a year ago, I read a book by Ernest Klein called Ready Player One. My brother recommended it to me. And I have to say that of all of the sci-fi I've read, Bradbury, Asimov, everything, this stands as my absolute very favorite sci-fi <laughs> book. Actually represents a future that I think we're going to see at least part of it. Hopefully not the dystopian part where things are in, in ruins in certain ways, but certainly the part where virtual reality is a part of Many things, education, that people are actually able to go to really nice, beautiful, well-run schools with amazing professors in foreign countries where there's beautiful architecture or on other planets where the architecture is beautiful, where the learning becomes easy, and they're doing it all by way of virtual reality or for people who have problems with mobility, for people who are paraplegics, for instance, that cannot get up and move. They can, by way of virtual reality, they can take a hike. And they can go, you know, walk on the Great Wall of China or what have you. So I think that when we get to the real meat of it down the road and we have virtual reality that is just a notch different from reality, it's so well done. I think that the console and the flat screen and the two dimensions will seem not as appealing, although there will always be people that enjoy both, I'm certain. But anyway, that <laughs> that is a plug for Ernest Klein's Ready Player One, a fabulous book. If you hate 80s culture and music, you may not like the book. I happen to like a lot of it, but that's where the book kind of takes place in a certain way, and I won't say any more about that. But yeah, so I completely understand the idea of skins and the way that you described it as fashion. I think that's a really good way to put it. And why do we do that? Because we're humans, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, love player one as well. I was thinking <laughs> when I did it originally, uh, you know, I wanted to go for Neuromancer. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, love Neuromancer. Ready player one is a great example of that. And, you know, it doesn't change any fundamental piece, but you can denote a lot of status by having these things. So I think between fashion and ready player one, it's if you had to succinctly put what the environment we're trying to put together is, yeah. there you go. Yeah. And you brought up Neuromancer, and I loved Neuromancer. I read that years ago. I've got to revisit that book. I probably read that when I was, I don't know, 15, and it just blew my mind. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but anyway, okay, so we have an idea of what Opskins is. So bring us up to speed on Worldwide Asset Exchange, WAX. Okay, absolutely. So WAX is an attempt to disintermediate Opskins' own business. And so the goal is to make it so that users can buy and sell these skins as well as other virtual goods and items using WAX tokens in real time in a disintermediated fashion. Hmm. So there's no centralized authority. There's a universal marketplace where everybody has the ability to discover all those items. Hmm. And that actually is a great idea because, well, we'll, we'll get back to that one in a minute. Okay. But yeah. So. <laughs> It's a disintermediated market that allows people to buy and sell virtual goods with wax tokens. Hmm. Very simple, very succinct answer. Yeah. But what it's kind of doing that's different than anybody else before it is wax is going to take opskins to the next level by disintermediating the entire marketplace. What it's trying to do is allow anybody to sell and buy any virtual good with the surety and security of the blockchain. 
where at the same time allow for additional functionality through smart contracts, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But probably the most ambitious piece about it is they would like to secure the liquidity of all these virtual goods. Back to that first part, by allowing anyone to gain access to the platform, mm -hmm. there will be more users on the platform. And they're gonna start that with Opskins itself by putting their assets on the blockchain, which as I said, they are the largest single provider of virtual goods and skins right now. Hmm. But when everybody can gain access to this platform and get the exact same value add as Opskins, we're hoping that others, independent sellers and smaller shops will join in on the process and allow them to create more liquidity and have more of a fixed price. This episode of Bitcoins and Gravy is brought to you by our good friends at MoonshineBootWax.com. Made by hand in small batches right here in East Nashville, Tennessee, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is the original, all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is a proprietary blend of American beeswax and other fine, all-natural ingredients. It's specially formulated to feed and protect your leather while also offering an excellent long-lasting shine. Whether it's your cowboy boots, your expensive wing tips, or your wife's favorite pumps, Moonshine Boot Wax is a must-have for gentlemen who care about their appearance. Moonshine Boot Wax is proud to partner with Community Food Advocates, a nonprofit organization working to end hunger by creating a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. Together with Community Food Advocates, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is making a positive difference in the Nashville community, one shine at a time. You can buy your very own four ounce tin today by going to moonshinebootwax.com. And best of all, you can pay using Bitcoin. Now, of course, the first question that always comes to mind for some people is, you know, is this thing going to be regulated <laughs> in some way? Is it going to be censored in some way? Are there going to be ways for me to protect my children from anything violent looking or overly scary or pornographic from this thing? Is there going to be censorship? So virtual good trading is right now an unregulated market. What Opskins, the platform that they work on, is the Valve platform. So Steam Valve has allowed for secondary market sellers, such as Opskins, to move these without it being a violation of terms of service. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm saying there's no regulation. However, certain games have tried to prevent unsuccessfully the virtual good trading, which it would be possible for somebody to do that through the solution. Now, it's a self-regulating market. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've done is we've come up with a clever way of rather than call them miners, we've created a depot system for guilds and guilds service one game. And the users on the network use delegated proof of stake to elect guilds. Mm -hmm. So only games that have guilds will be able to be serviced. Mm -hmm. And while the number of guilds will go up as user demand and a, a nice little algorithm happens, but you will have more guilds to service more games in a future state, you have to have at least a minimum number of voters for a game. Mm -hmm. So some of the more violent or distasteful games are unlikely to hit that critical mass. And therefore, the trading on those platforms will not be there. The other is with these virtual goods and items, they have to be created by the actual publishers and developers. Now, video games, much like comics before them, there's always 
a fringe element of you know those that are going to go ahead and be distasteful or outside of normal kind of accepted. appropriate culture <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there there will always be people and it's not our business to regulate any of that that's right however our community is unlikely to attract that kind of critical mass yeah. and I, I think it's also overblown these video games while there are ridiculous ones the most violent games that i can think of are caricatures you know super meat boy he explodes all over the place in blood <laughs> it's not a ostensibly overtly violent act it's mostly poking fun at the trope of that right and i think video game developers and players are looking more for quality content than for any kind of violence yes yep. that, that's my sense of it too yes <laughs> we, we are not going to actively police or prevent anybody from doing any of the valid transactions on the wax platform we trust our users and we trust game players to want high quality content and at the end of the day high quality content is appealing to a market audience and so niche markets may never get their their overtly violent game but you're going to have better and better games come out and i think that anybody who plays any games has got to admit that the experience of gaming is getting better every year. Oh, yeah. And like you said, there will always be bad actors and there will always be people that want to do things that are just over the top. And, you know, there will, I imagine, always be platforms and areas where those people can go do that. And, you know, it's not necessarily for us to stop that. It's for us to do what we do as well as we can do. And, you know, thankfully, we live in a world still where, you know, 80 85, 90% of the people, you know, in neighborhoods and in communities, they're doing the same thing that most people have done for thousands of years. That's they're trying to make a living and take care of their own business and raise their family and have, you know, food and shelter for their children. And they're just living life. It's, it's the fringe elements that uh, I think the fear of them is overblown and often used as a leverage to get people to give up certain rights to instate a new law or regulation that shouldn't necessarily be there, but people have been so scared that if it's framed this way, when given the choice between the safety of your children and this, you know, fill in the blank, people will say, oh, give me the safety of my children, even if it means you take away this right or you add this that makes it more difficult for me to do. I read an article somewhere a couple of weeks ago about the possibility of needing a passport of some sort to travel from state to state. And that's something that I predicted many years ago, you know, that because the United States is so big, I could easily see just in driving from state to state that there would be checkpoints, papers, please, papers, please. <laughs> but, I, but I digress and I apologize. I'm, I'm known for doing that. Oh, <laughs> not at all. And, you know, not to keep going down that rabbit hole, but I'll be honest. Anytime somebody says, you know, think of the children or how do I explain this to my child? You know what? Like, that's what parenting is. It's explaining right. things to your children that they've never encountered before. Right. And that's how somebody grows. Yes. You provide context and information and how they should actually respond. And yes. keeping them away from it just creates ignorance. Yes. And ignorance is what we, you know, that leads to all the ills of the world. I agree. And it leads to people choosing sides and saying, okay, those are the bad people over there. We're the good people. We see it in politics. We see it in everything. I think it's somewhat healthy in sports, but for the most part, it's that choosing sides as a response as opposed to teaching young people how to have meaningful dialogue. And if that leads to meaningful debate and discussions, 
then that's really important. Then we can learn how to better understand each other through dialogue as opposed to throwing things at each other, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so lead us on from here. Tell us more. So where to next? So we've talked about <laughs> what we want to do with the platform. I guess what the next would be our immediate how and why. Yes. So, you know, when you say why an ICO, and a lot of people are doing them, not all of them need them. Well, an ICO is necessary here because we have to develop concurrently on the existing blockchain platforms, but also put together our own so that we can do zero cost transactions. And while there's a lot of promise coming down the line and a lot of drama that's happening with those same promises, mm -hmm. we felt that we could build our solution forward in a very straight line based on the current technologies, but it would require some engineering and internal development. So we're working on that to build the service for our, our clients while simultaneously being able to release quite a bit of the work that's already been completed, actually probably even before the uh, sale completes. You'll be able to use your wax tokens to buy items and sell items. Hmm. So the why of the ICO is to actually provide those tokens to our users so they can actually start buying and selling these things. I see. It doesn't make sense to do it with Ethereum and Bitcoin. The transaction cost is too high. Yeah. You know, a 10 cent, 10 cent transaction cost on Ethereum doesn't work for the one cent item. Right. And then on the other side of that, you know, we want to be able to, I mentioned this with our guilds, we're building a protocol that is for gamers, by gamers. Mm -hmm. We want a natural progression for how these guilds are going to be built up and then how these users are going to gain access to it. <laughs> and then the, the last part, you know, why are you doing an ICO instead of just using native Ethereum? We had to have a way to bond certain users known as transfer agents who would be responsible for any non-bot maintained transaction. Okay. And we had to have the ability to effectively, before only transfer agents, remove their asset from their, their holding if they acted incorrectly and they forfeited it. And it's very difficult to do that with any traditional cryptocurrency by design. That's right. And we've left that by design for all of our users except for these protocol-based transfer agents. Wow, that's great stuff. So tell us when the ICO began and how it's going. So the ICO began with the pre-sale allocation, which, you know, that's where we go to our original investors and quite a bit of the gaming industry as a whole. And we figure out what's the expected use, how do we actually distribute these funds so that they're going to go to the right teams. So while there were some institutional investors, we're very happy that some big platform players to be announced, as well as some industry I guess celebrities, you could even say, have signed up on board and taken some of these tokens to maintain the actual good of that. Hmm. The main sale is going to start in the morning, November 1st. It lasts for two weeks, but we're going to start the sale with a gamers only sale. And you know, there's no perfect way to prove who a gamer is. You could be casual, you could be on a mobile, you could whatever. So what we've decided is because we're going to put the Opskins inventory up first, you have to just log into your Opskins account and you'll be able to purchase direct from there. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to, we're going to sell directly to the gamers first because they're our target demographic. They're our target market. Now, what would stop someone from having an Opskins account, but not even being a gamer? So you have to, to have an Opskins account, 
the way that we've set it up, you have to have at least a level one account on Steam. So you'll have to have a Steam account linked to your Wax account. And to have a level one, you have to have a game and you have to have been playing it. Okay. (laughs) It's not an insurmountable challenge for somebody that would like to go ahead and gain access to the gamer sale, which there is, you know, the gamer sale is a little bit discounted from the final sale. Okay. But the hope on that actually is somebody would go in, get one of these games. There are free games on Steam that you can get, but if they buy a game, great for Steam, not great for us, but you have to play it. And the hope is that if somebody's going to go through all the steps to try to trick us, maybe they get a little bit deeper into the community and they realize that there is an art passion into these games Mm -hmm. uh, as a new form of communication. So (laughs) we don't expect anybody, any day trader is going to want to go ahead and play some Counter-Strike for a few hours just to get our token. If they do, you know, them i guess yeah yeah (laughs) that's cool and then so after that part of the sale for the gamers then it's open to the general public correct at that point it'll be open to the general public and you'll be able to uh send in ether to receive the erc20 token now what stops it from ending soon you know we've all seen that with an ico where you know, it's projected to last two weeks and it ends in 20 minutes. <laughs> and a lot of the people are mad, like, I didn't even get a chance to, you know, what, what stops that from happening? So while there is no ETH, min, or max that you can use, our expectation is that the gamers, for the main sale, the limit is 70,000 ETH, which, again, if somebody wants to go through all the steps of being a gamer, they may have the ability to access that. Mm-hmm. That being said, we expect that our gamers are going to be the first people in there and they're going to have direct access. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they have to access it through the Opskin site. So all of that should actually go directly through there. Our hope is that our gamers will get first crack on that. And we've set it up as best we can to be fair to our gamers mm-hmm. uh, and give them first priority. Yes. So is it possible that the gamers would get all of the tokens that are being allocated for the ICO and the general public would not be able to get any? So, as, and I forget the actual number, but I want to say that when one-tenth, there is a trigger, and I can get back to you on that, but my understanding is that when one-tenth of the total allocation for the main sale is sold, mm-hmm. at that point, the public address will be available, and it will be open to everyone. I see. So it's highly unlikely that gamers will take every allocation right but they will get the first crack at it Mm -hmm. and at that point you know the prioritization is still for the gamers so for the general public who want to get involved in the ico where do they go to do that so they would go to waxtoken.com okay and after the first 10 percent is sold be open to the general public that could happen in 10 minutes 20 minutes an hour yeah it could happen very quickly. So I would go ahead and log in. Actually, if you go to Wax Token right now, there's a nice little countdown. Okay. So it's very quickly approaching. And at that point, you'll be able to gain access and start purchasing with others. And for your listeners out there that really want to get involved on this, I would encourage you, buy the tokens for what they're used for. Buy them because they're for games. So yes. I'd say, get on there, play a game, Get involved in the community and have fun. Yes. My personal recommendation is Player Unknown. It's basically Battle Royale 
and it's so much fun. The physics on it are ridiculous, and you know you can dress yourself up as you need to. And it's called Player Unknown. Yeah, Player Unknown Battlegrounds. You uh, get dropped onto a map with a hundred other players, and you fight until there's only one person left, and the area keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. If you don't know the movie Battle Royale. It's basically the Hunger Games, so it's it's a lot of fun. Oh wow, yeah, I have not seen Battle Royale. I guess I should see that. When did that movie come out? Oh, so Battle Royale is a classic. Uh, I want to say it's Japanese. It could be Korean, but I'm fairly certain it's Japanese. About a government takes a bunch of students, puts them to sleep, and then drops them onto an island and gives them all random weapons, and they have to go around and kill each other. Wow. Until there's only one left. So. You might be going up against a guy with an AK-47, and you've only got a frying pan. But you'd be surprised. <laughs> if you get that guy when he's not looking, you can take him out, and you've got an AK-47. Well, that's hilarious, man. Wow. <laughs> that is they really got the cool. whole, like Sometimes defense is the best way, so they've got ghillie suits and everything. And, you know, it's fun. It's a fun little – I would say to your listeners, play a game, enjoy yourself for a little bit, and then gain access to that the gamer only side of it. Okay. My question to you, Michael, is how long have you been gaming? So I'm, you know, despite all that, I'm not an avid gamer. I loved Minecraft. Yeah. Because it was procedurally just a deep and rich game. You know, I'm a developer now. I've got my laptop. Uh It's very difficult for me to play some of these games. Right. Now, that being said, I like games that are kind of silly. So I started playing Rust. And Rust and Player Unknown are very similar. Well, Rust is more like Minecraft for zombies, whereas <laughs> Player Unknown is that kind of ridiculous side. So I wouldn't ever say that I'm a hardcore gamer, but I probably put between four and eight hours a weekend. And, you know, it's a good way for me to relax and just when I'm not stressed out about the latest <laughs> market rocking event that happens in the space, you know take my mind off for a little bit there yeah you know i'm actually not a gamer at all i mean i don't think i've played a game since that old game of tanks the little tanks would drive around the little you know um, yeah and it was right after i learned to play the pong game so i'm going way 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 back in time but i just have never gotten into gaming i've just been busy doing other things that's to each his own right but i would actually love you know, starting in and learning how to game, but I don't really know where to start. So for someone who would want to try this player unknown battlegrounds, how would they even start? Can a person play that on their laptop? I know that controlling is not as easy as having a nice controller, but is that doable? Yeah. So you'd have to have a pretty high end laptop for that one. Yes. I would say, so Counter-Strike and Team Fortress 2 are both free to play. Okay. Oh, as is Defense of the Ancients too. Actually, Dota is real fun. If you've ever played Warcraft or Starcraft, it's a lot of those characters in a click-based action kind of strategy, and you control only one character, sort of like a tabletop game. You go back and forth. It's pretty fast and exciting. A lot of competitive play there. Okay. Um, Those three games are free. So I would download Steam, start playing those games, and then once you've played them for a few hours and your play style Mm -hmm. is down, maybe you like to be a sniper Maybe you're uh, up close and personal. At that point, I'd say, you know how you're going to play the game. Go to op skins, find a few skins that you like that make your experience a little bit better. And, you know, start on the low end, find a few things. 
put them in there. It's a seamless, well, it's not seamless. It will be seamless with wax, <laughs> right. but you know, put that together and then sit back and go, you paid nothing for the game. You're getting a great experience and now you just made it your game. So other people can see your character and know who you are a little bit better now. I like it. So as we get near the end of the interview, you've mentioned a few times, you've mentioned Steam, and you said, you know, start out by downloading Steam. Tell our listeners, if you would, what that means, because a lot of our listeners are not even familiar with the Steam platform. They've never heard of it. So, you know, Steam is not affiliated with Wax, but Steam and Valve, and I, I always butcher this, but Valve is the company, Steam is the platform. Uh, as in you turn the valve to let off steam. Mm -hmm. So steam is a platform for publishers to release their games, mm -hmm. both triple a games as well as indie developers. Okay. Now I don't want to chum the water too much, but there is, I started this whole interview with telling you why I got excited about wax. Yes. I have been talking to some people and I can't say any more than this, but there is an amazing disruption about to happen that is going to disintermediate the platform for releasing, selling games, and delivering games to users. It's going to be on a blockchain solution. Wow. It's coming from industry experts and leaders, pillars of this community. And when it launches, you're going to say, I'm pretty sure this is what Mike was talking about. Wow. I am really excited about what's coming down the line. Man. And <laughs> yeah, not to lose the point of it, but yeah, Steam, it's free to download. You can do that. There's going to be some other stuff that's coming down the line that's more blockchain-based and decentralized. You don't need to decentralize all the things, but if you do this on these kinds of assets, video games and skins, you put it more into the user's control. And users want their games directly. They want to pay the publishers directly. They don't want money going into anybody else's hands. And right. we're allowing for that. And this one that's coming down the line is going to really knock everybody's socks off. I think it and wax are going to go hand in hand. Wow. That's exciting stuff. Listeners, you have been listening to Michael Maloney. Michael Maloney is currently the solution architect for wax. Wax is the worldwide asset exchange. Michael, if you would tell our listeners how they can find out more about wax online, tell them where to go. If you would. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, John. And for listeners that are interested in the wax project, go to wax token.com there you can find our documentation and white paper all of our videos including a video contest from users the countdown clock to when we're about to open up this ico and after the ico you'll have updates from us as we engage with the community and let everybody know about the progress on what we're building hey that is great stuff michael thank you so much for taking time to interview today and i'm actually excited about this I'm just glad I went to the Distributed Health Conference for many reasons, but also because I heard about WAX and then got in touch with you. So, yeah, thank you for taking time to talk to our listeners today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, John. Yep. Take care, and we'll uh, talk to you down the road. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too, man. Bye. Bye. I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Michael Maloney, the solution architect for WAX, the Worldwide Asset Exchange. If you're a gamer or know someone who is, please direct them here to this episode of Bitcoins and Gravy so they can find out more about the WAX ICO beginning November 1st. That's in two days. WAX is going to change the world as we know it. 
And finally, I'd like to thank all my loyal listeners. That's you for tuning in and for giving me your thoughtful feedback about the show. Your comments in the show notes are always appreciated, as are the tips that you send to my Bitcoin wallet. I'm a hardworking guy with two jobs and without a lot of money, so every little bit counts. Even a 50 cent tip sent to my wallet goes a long way to making me feel that doing this podcast on a volunteer basis is worth it. It also helps keep the lights on and coffee in the kettle. Signing off now from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin blockchain epicenter of the South. I'm John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. (laughs) Until next week, friends, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. So do something, y'all. Go out there and help your neighbor take out the trash. Help someone cross the street. Hold the door open for someone. These little random acts of kindness change people and make people feel good. And here's a little quote I just put up on my wall the other day by C. Neil Strait. Kindness is more than deeds. It is an attitude, an expression, a look, a touch. It is anything that lifts another person. And then the other part of it I love. It is like a fresh breeze that relieves the journey of tired souls. End of quote. We are each of us on a journey. Let's help make the journey easier for our fellow human beings. Peace and love, y'all. Over and out. Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things ought to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain, oh Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain, till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. Down the road it will be told about the death of old Mount Gox, about traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks, but them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee, see they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free. Oh Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain, oh Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain, till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny A Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain A Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows
course. Everybody knows till everybody knows your name. Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure. Everybody knows your name. Sing it. Oh Lord, pass me some more. Oh Lord, before I have to go. Oh Lord, pass me some more. I want to shift the conversation slightly because I think it's wrong to think about cryptocurrencies displacing fiat or measuring cryptocurrencies against the fiat they displace. That okay. I think is not the right way to look at it. Any more than we would look at the internet and say, well, how many phone lines and fax machines has the internet displaced? Well, it hasn't really displaced them. What it did was it rendered the entire paradigm obsolete and made the very measurement of internet in terms of phone lines and fax ludicrous and irrelevant. And so the question is, when do we start measuring Bitcoin, not in terms of it being worth $450, but in terms of one Bitcoin being worth one Bitcoin, and in terms of Bitcoin not displacing economic activity in fiat, but essentially enabling completely new models of economic activity that have nothing to do with the old paradigm and cannot even be measured in terms of the old paradigm. We're currently measuring cryptocurrencies in terms of the old paradigm because that's the context we have. And that's a bit like saying that the total value of the internet is the number of the users times how much they're paying for their DSL and cable modem connections, or how many bricks and mortar stores it's replaced. And again, that's completely missing the point. It enables entirely new ways of communicating. Well, Bitcoin enables entirely new ways of economic transactions and economic activity. So, from that perspective, I think it's wrong to look at whether a nation or a significant percentage of population have adopted Bitcoin. Let's look more at the possibility of having the first transnational community of economic activity on the internet that is independent of nation states and that exhibits elements of sovereignty through financial purchasing power on its own without the use of a sovereign currency. Uh, so that is far more interesting to me because it completely renders the old paradigm irrelevant and makes it unnecessary to measure ourselves by those metrics. I think one of the key things we're going to see is Bitcoin affecting some of the core capabilities within the internet. For example, monetizing and rewarding the creation of content, as well as building and paying for infrastructure for internet connectivity by making that infrastructure productive in terms of economic activity, because it now carries a currency over it. The other big milestones for me are the ability to disrupt the remittances market, enabling the transnational flows of currency from migrant workers to their home countries and families, which can have a very, very significant and immediate impact on poverty around the world, because that's one of the most exploitative markets in financial services. And the third one is enabling um, essentially uh, cryptocurrency IPOs where companies anywhere in the world can make public offerings of crypto stocks 
available to investors anywhere in the world without any barriers to entry and creating completely new economic activity by allowing for direct investment. So peer-to-peer -peer payments, peer-to-peer -peer remittances, peer-to-peer -peer crowdfunding as some of the first three major milestones for cryptocurrencies. Oh, good boy.